Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, January 22nd, 2018. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio, Beantown Athletics, Boston's go-to destination for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. And yep, you can put together a lineup for Super Bowl 52, which we now know is the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles Sunday, February 4th on NBC uh, on DraftKings. It's going to be a contest called the NFL Single Game Showdown. You get a $50,000 salary cap. You pick four offensive players, two defensive players. So it's a little bit different than your average every Sunday slate. You know, you get 12 to 14 games and you're just picking offensive plays and a defense. This is different. It's only one game, uh, NFL single game showdown. Again, four offensive players, two defensive players, and you got $50,000 to work with under your salary cap. So sign up today and get involved for your share of $2.4 million in total prizes in the single game showdown. Sign up right now at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app and get a free game with your first deposit when you use my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. Today's show is also presented by the Dorchester Group. The Dorchester Group is a full-service real estate agency specializing in the sale of properties in the Boston area. What can they do for you? Well, the Dorchester Group assists individuals who currently own property, helping them come up with the best strategy to manage, improve, or dispose of it. They're here to help you maximize your return and protect you against developers who are looking to take advantage of your valuable property. So do yourself a favor and put somebody from the neighborhood in your corner. Call the Dorchester Group today at 617-869-4464. That's 617-869-4464. Maximize your return today with the Dorchester Group. Welcome to the show on this Monday, January 22nd. I am fired up. The New England Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl. And the line is out on Super Bowl 52. Patriots-Eagles. The Patriots, a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Now, the Patriots were the one seed in the AFC. The Eagles, the one seed in the NFC. But the reason, you know, the Eagles... Such a dog in in this game, and not just this game. They were a dog against the Vikings in the NFC Championship. They were a dog in the divisional round against the Atlanta Falcons. The reason Philadelphia is a dog in the playoffs as a one seed in their conference is because their starting quarterback is out. Carson Wentz out for the season. Uh, He got hurt late in the season. The backup, Nick Foles, took over. Now, Nick Foles, who once was the starting quarterback, I mean, the the Nick Foles story itself is just kind of crazy, not just because he's now on the center leading the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl, but because of the way it looked on Sunday. And and obviously, I'm going to spend most of my time on this show talking about the Patriots and their win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. And sort of going back, because the last time I talked to you, we were talking about Tom Brady's throwing hand and just how concerned I was. And if you listened to my podcast on Thursday or follow me on Twitter, you know I was very concerned, okay? Very concerned about Tom Brady's throwing hand. And I'm going to spend most of the time on this show talking about the Patriots uh, and what they were able to do to Jacksonville and how they are now going to their 10th Super Bowl, Brady and Belichick going to their 8th. And, and I mean, it just, you get a sense. And, and, you know, I've had this sense for a long time, I've been telling you. But I, I think most people now around the football world, some people that tried to bury the Patriots, you look at some of the stories that, you know, had come out in recent weeks, in recent months. A lot of people who wanted to see the Patriots dynasty come to an end, I, I think they have no choice but to acknowledge that it doesn't look like it's ending After this season, I understand a lot of people want to look at the Patriots' coaching changes. They're going to lose their offensive coordinator. They're going to lose their defensive coordinator. They're going to lose a couple other coaches on that staff. But they're not going to lose Belichick, and they're not going to lose Tom Brady. And I really think those two things are the biggest factors. And and I just I don't know how you could sit here today and try to tell anybody that you think the Patriots 
that this is it for the Patriots, that you think this is going to be the last run for them. I just, I don't know how you can do that. So I'm going to spend most of my time on the Pats, but the reason the Eagles are an underdog in this Super Bowl against the Patriots, it's not just because of how good the Patriots look, it's also because it's Nick Foles under center. But the craziest part about Foles under center is that he looked the putt on Sunday in the NFC Championship. I mean, Nick Foles, he had a what you call a big boy game. I mean, he had three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He was 26 of 33 for 352 yards. But more than anything, he was throwing the deep ball in the big spots. And he was, you know, throwing them in the, dropping them in the bucket, putting them on the money. Nick Foles looked like a quarterback that if you didn't watch the NFL this season and you saw the Eagles in that game against the Vikings yesterday and I told you that Nick Foles was actually their backup quarterback, you would not believe me. You'd say, well, wait a minute. He's playing like the best quarterback in the NFL. He's making all the big throws in the big spots. What do you mean this guy's the backup quarterback? You wouldn't believe that if I told you. He was the backup quarterback. So Nick Foles, it's not just that he's stepping in and playing and he's the quarterback as the Eagles go on to the Super Bowl because, I mean, I told you, and I'll get to my picks in a moment, but you know, I told you the Eagles were going to win this game against the Vikings because they were at home. They were using the underdog card. They were using that to their advantage, the underdog card. And I, I just, you looked at their defense, though, at home. I just told you, if Nick Foles doesn't turn the ball over and they're running back, Sajai and Blunt don't fumble, Eagles going to win that game. They won the game. They got the pick six. But it was Nick Foles, to me, was the story there. Even though the pick six did change the game, Nick Foles still had to go out and make the big throws. And he didn't just make the big throws. He made the big throws and made, uh, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people in Philadelphia feel like maybe they got a shot here against the Patriots in the Super Bowl on February 4th, right? But they're still a dog, and they're a dog and a five-and-a-half-point dog because it's not Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, you know, he's in. he was going to be in the MVP discussion. Might have even won the damn thing if he had stayed healthy. So it's Patriots-Eagles, Super Bowl 52. It's in Minnesota. On Sunday, February 4th, the game is on NBC. The over-under of this game is 48. And uh, just quickly looking at my picks over the weekend, I got one game wrong. It was the Patriots. I took a minus nine. But again, if you listen Thursday, we were sort of all over the place because the Tom Brady hand injury, there were just so many unknowns with that. And I had made my pick before we even knew he suffered this injury during Wednesday's practice. And it turned out to be Rex Burkhead, who was the guy who sort of ran into Tom, who had that collision with Tom Brady and his throwing hand. But I took the Patriots minus nine. The Patriots won the game, but they only won by four points, 24-20. So they didn't cover. So that was the game I got wrong. This game was actually seven and a half at kickoff, minus seven and a half. Patriots a seven and a half point favorite at kickoff. Uh, you know, because Brady has the press conference. He's wearing his his gloves, the gloves that he wore to practice, the red Under Armour gloves. He was wearing them in the fucking press conference. And I tweeted out, you know, this is either a nightmare scenario for the Patriots or it's the funniest thing and the funniest plan that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have ever had. And you might try to tell me that after, you know, by listening to the post game, after the Patriots win on Sunday with Bill Belichick saying, you know, let's let's not act like, Tom's injury was, let's not act like he had open heart surgery. He's just got a hand injury. That's what Belichick said. You know, the reason he said that was because he was getting peppered with questions nonstop about it. And I think right after a win, it was was like the third or the fourth question about it at the press conference. He said, all right, listen, we got to stop talking about it. I think that's what he, that's what he wanted to do. And uh, I think he got his point across. But, um, (laughs) you know. Just because he says that doesn't mean he wasn't part of the plan to cover up the injury. I, 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 I think he was part of that plan to wear the gloves at the press conference, you know, to cover up the cut. <laughs> it, you know, right now we can laugh. But at the time that I was looking at my picks and, you know, previewing this AFC championship against a very good Jacksonville defense, I was not laughing then. 
I told you, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. And, and as, the, as the game went on, you know, the one thing I felt good about in the AFC Championship when the Patriots were losing, right, when they were losing the game 20-10, uh, to 10, even when they were losing early, what, 14-3, to 3, the one thing that I felt good about was that Brady could throw the football. Right, he looked like he could throw it fine, and and I was actually not concerned about that. I was concerned about whether or not the Patriots were going to be able to stop Jacksonville. They were going to be able, were they going to be able to stop Leonard Fournette? Were they going to be able to stop Blake Bortles? Because the play action was affecting them. There's no question about it, and you saw it on that touchdown. But um, look, at at kickoff, it was seven and a half. I took Patriots minus nine. I got it wrong. I would have got it wrong even if I took a minus seven and a half. But I got Philly plus three right. A three-point dog. I told you they win the game. Uh, they win They win the game. And obviously, I win that one, taking them plus three. So I went one and one with my picks. Throughout the playoffs, I've just been basically 500 with my picks with the spread. And my DraftKings got to have him play was James White. He had the touchdown. But, you know, it wasn't really the, the Jimmy White game that maybe I had expected it to be. Uh, they, they obviously used them in some spots where when they did, I don't know if your reaction was the same, but mine was, well, you know, you should have been doing this all game. Uh, and, and it wasn't the Jimmy White game I thought it was going to be, but he did have a touchdown. So that was my DraftKings. Got to have him play. I probably should have taken Danny Amendola. That's probably who I should have taken because Danny Amendola had a game for himself. And I'll, I'll get to that and I'll break down this game. Uh, in just a moment, but before I do, before I do get deep into this Patriots-Jaguars game, I got to tell you about a new app called Sports Me. That's Sports Me, not you, me. Sports Me. Sports Me is a new app for sports fans made by sports fans, and you're going to love it because everybody's got a hot take these days, right? I mean, you're going to see him today. <laughs> you saw him on Twitter on Sunday. Everybody at Fox Sports 1 has the worst hot take, it seems. Does anybody at Fox Sports 1 ever get a hot take right? Do they ever get it right? They don't. They don't ever get it right. I mean, and it seems anybody who has a hot take on the Patriots should probably just stop because they think that, well, I, if I keep saying the Patriots dynasty is going to end or if I keep saying that, you know, Tom Brady's career is going to be done and he's going to fall off a cliff. And I know Max Kellerman's not Fox Sports 1. He's the guy who mentioned Tom Brady falling off a cliff. Max Kellerman. Works for ESPN. But okay, we'll add Kellerman to the mix. Fox Sports 1 and ESPN. Uh, they think that if they keep giving this hot take that the Patriots dynasty is going to end, that at some point they eventually have to get it right. Well, they might just want to, they might want to stop or at least hold off on that hot take for a couple years. I say that to them, not to you. You can take your hot take by picking up your phone, downloading the SportsMe app, and on the Sports Me app, you can record a 30-second video with your hot take, record that video, create battles with others by responding to their takes. So if somebody else has a video with their take, you can respond to it with a video of your own, responding to them. And you can go out and you can give points. This thing is about points. It's about winning. It's about winning your takes. It's about winning these battles. You give points to other people, and the way I look at it on this app, it's kind of like Tony Reale, how Tony Reale does it on the Round the Horn, right? Well, of course, on the Sports Me app, your goal is to get points for your hot takes and win the battle. So start talking smack and download the Sports Me app in the App Store right now. Uh, I got a link posted on my website, dannypicard.com, and I'll be posting a couple links on Twitter. Follow me at Danny Picard, the Sports Me app. You got to get it. And not just here in the next couple weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, but they have other sports as well. They have every sport. I even saw UFC on there. And if you've ever, you know, battled with a UFC fan and gone back and forth with a UFC fan, they are very passionate about their takes. So if you're a passionate UFC fan, this, this app is definitely for you. So it's not just for football fans, any sport, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and even UFC. Go get it right now. Sports me. And with that, I'll get to this game. Patriots defeat Jaguars in the AFC Championship 24-20. Tom Brady, 26 of 38 for 290 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. 
On the other side, Blake Bortles, 23 of 36 for 293 yards. He had one touchdown and zero interceptions. Blake Bortles was very good in this game, but Jacksonville's offense was much different in the first half than it was in the second half. And when we look at this game, you know, it it obviously reminds us of the Super Bowl last year and the comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, right? Because... It's simple. What the, the Patriots do, I think it's it's simple to break down. It's poise, it's execution, and it's belief in the system. And I told you this after last year's Super Bowl. They, they remain poised. Regardless of what it says on that clock, how much time is left, this team does not panic. They have a quarterback who does not panic. They have a coach in Bill Belichick who does not panic. And... Uh, they have guys that can execute as well in those moments where they don't panic. And they probably execute, not probably, definitely, they definitely execute because they don't panic. But it's all a belief in the system. You know, the players believe that the coaches are going to call the right plays. The players believe that with, you know, the poise that everybody has, even as the clock runs down, that they're going to have opportunities It's about getting the opportunity, and the belief in this Patriots system is that they will have the opportunity to execute if they just remain poised. It it just, it all comes back to, it's the Patriot way is something that other teams can just not handle. They just can't handle it. They can't. And a perfect example of that is how the Jacksonville Jaguars at the end of the first half, with 55 seconds left at their own 25-yard line and two timeouts, by the way, decided to kneel the ball and take it into the half, knowing that they were going to get the ball to begin the second half. It was a move that a lot of people should be scratching their heads over. And if I'm the Jaguars today, that is something, whether I'm a player or a coach on that staff, uh, anybody in that organization, in that Jaguars organization, I am going to remember Blake Bortles taking that knee at the end of the first half for a long time because that was one of the things that changed this game. That was one of the things that separated these two teams that said, you know what, one of these teams is a championship caliber football team in this league and the other team is just trying to hold on for their dear lives in this one. That's it. That's what it was. Jacksonville was trying to just hold on for their dear lives. They knew they had a half left. They knew they got the ball first to begin the second half. And they knew they had a lead going into the half, right? They knew they had a 14 to 10 lead. They felt confident in what they were doing offensively. But I think that they overthought it. It's simple as that. If you're Jacksonville, you should be doing one thing. Because the Patriots just drove down and scored a touchdown and cut your 14-3 lead to 14-10. And I don't know how you didn't have a feeling like, hey, here come the Patriots. Everybody did. You know, everybody did. If you're Jacksonville, don't overthink this. You got two timeouts. After the kickoff, you're at your own 25-yard line. You got 55 seconds left. You have enough time to move the football down the field. Keep your play action going for the rest of the half. And... Pick up some yardage, get into field goal range, and their field goal kicker was was money, right? Right down the middle, he was sticking it. You know, how do you not feel good about everything that you're doing in this game? To the point where you should be doing everything you can to give the Patriots a taste of their own medicine. The double whammy. How many times we talk about the double whammy with the Patriots? They get the ball last at the end of the first half. They score even if it's a field goal. They get the ball first to begin the second half. They drive down and score a touchdown. It's a double whammy. The Jaguars needed to try and give the Patriots the double whammy, but they sat there, looked up at the scoreboard, and thought, well, we're up by four points. We don't want to turn the ball. They overthought it. The minute they start thinking about the bad things that could happen is when they start overthinking it, and that's how you play right into the Patriots' hand. That's you can At that point, you lose control of the game. You can no longer control... What the Patriots have, which is poise, execution, and belief in the system. 
Jacksonville stopped believing in what they were doing. They stopped worrying about the Patriots. They look up the scoreboard. They start overthinking everything. And they kneel the they kneel down. They take it into the half up 14-10. And it just it changed the game. Honestly, where did you watch the game? And did you not turn and look at someone and say, oh, that's that's where this game is gonna change? I mean, if me and you were seeing it, how, how did the Jaguars not see that? They overthought it. They couldn't see it because they were blinded by this idea that they just needed to hold on for their dear lives against the New England Patriots, right? They mind-fucked themselves. And you come out in the second half. You what? You mean to tell me the Patriots aren't going to make halftime adjustment, adjustments defensively? That's what they did. I don't want to put the entire game on that decision to kneel the football at half, at, at, before halftime with 55 seconds left and two timeouts. I don't want to put it all on that because the Patriots made defensive adjustments. And the biggest adjustment that I saw that I was yelling at the TV for in the first half was get to the quarterback. Get to the quarterback. At at some point, you wanted to see them come up with some type of schematic approach to, to get into Blake Bortles, getting creative, disguising that blitz, getting the corner to come in, getting the safety to come in, getting Chung on the blitz, get creative with it, show that you're going to send everybody, drop them all back in rush three, like get creative. They weren't doing that. In the first half, they had one game plan. It was stop the run. And when you have that game plan and then you can't stop the run, which they kind of couldn't in the first half, the play action is going gonna, is gonna to kill you. And, and they had the play action going. Uh, and, it, and it hurt the Patriots. It did. But you get to halftime, all right, and the Patriots say, hey, we're only down four points. We're in our own building. Belichick's got his, you know, mini golf pencil out with, uh, with a napkin writing down some things that they need to do. And what do you know? They come out in the second half. They get creative with a blitz. You got uh, Malcolm Butler busting in on a corner blitz. You got Patrick Con- Chung coming in on a safety blitz. And, and, you know, it changed the game. It changed the game because all of a sudden the Jaguars have no idea what to do. And now they're playing defensive football, even when they are on offense. And uh, that started when Blake Bortles took a knee at the end of the first half. So, uh, you know, the, the things that changed this game, again, Jacksonville jumps out to a 14-3 lead. Uh, they were playing great. They were playing great, and and all I could say at that point when it's 14-3, all I could think about was that first Patriots possession where you get the fourth and one conversion, which was one of the nicest fourth down conversions that you will ever see in this game as Brady passes down the left sideline to Amendola, drops it in the bucket. It's just, I mean, it was beautiful, right? You convert the fourth and one, you get down to Jacksonville's 10, it's the first possession of the game, you settle for a field goal there? I didn't have a good feeling about this game when you settle for a field goal there. And then Jacksonville jumps out to a 14-3 lead. But you get the touchdown, and then you get Jacksonville to kneel, and then you make your defensive adjustments. You get creative in the second half. You start confusing the Jacksonville offense. All of a sudden, Bortles doesn't know who's coming from where. And you suffocate the run a little bit more with that because I just think everything that Jacksonville was trying to do was thrown out of whack. And, 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 of course, that's where you get the poise, you get the execution, and you get the belief in the system, right? That everybody, everybody on that, that team knew that they were going to have opportunities to win this ballgame. And so even when they had to punt in the fourth quarter when they trailed this game 2017, right? You get that final punt where you're like, all right, yeah, you got to punt this. Can't, you can't go for it. You got to punt. I mean, Ryan Allen had another game for himself. You know, you get the play by Stephon Gilmore jumping up. Gilmore had a heck of a game. He made a couple beautiful plays in this game. And the one thing that I love, and I know people are going to get all into the Gilmore. Well, you know, he, he showed everybody that he was worth the money in this game. Uh, it wasn't just this game. Stephon Gilmore has been very good for a good stretch here. And I know it wasn't a pretty start. But everything that we talked about early in the season when it wasn't pretty, it was what? Communication. And, and I just think where we sit, whether it's on our couch, whether it's in the stands, and we watch the Patriots defense play football from afar, and we try to criticize the defense, 
I think the most difficult position to criticize is the cornerback position, or should I just say the secondary in general? I just think it's an impossible position to criticize because, you know, unless it's brutal man to man coverage where there's no help over the top and, you know, you just get toasted down the sideline one on one and the quarterback puts it on the money, right? Or you stumble, you trip. But there were moments with Gilmore early on where, you know, he would just let a guy go. And it wasn't like he was trying to stay with him and couldn't stay with him. The guy would go by him, and it was like everything would be okay. At least in his mind it would be, because in his mind, the communication, he thought, was that somebody else was going to be there to get that guy. All right? Communication issues. It's, It's a tough position to criticize because I don't know what the role of the safety is supposed to be. I don't necessarily know maybe what a linebacker is being told what position he's going to cover. It might look like Stephon Gilmore blew the coverage, but for all we know, the the defensive play call was for Gilmore to do exactly what he did, patrol the area he patrolled, and somebody else was supposed to get that guy and get that spot and, get, and pick up that area. It's just a, you know, it's a tough position to criticize in my opinion. And what I've seen from Gilmore, and I've told you this on this show, what I've seen from Gilmore, you know, we'll call it the last six to eight weeks, I think has been some very good football at the cornerback position. And uh, to the point where I didn't think we really had to talk about him because I didn't think he was doing a bad job. And when you don't have to talk about a guy at the cornerback position, sometimes that means he can be at his best. Because that means he's not getting burnt, he's not getting toasted, and he's not on the highlight reel for a big play, you know, the other way. And Gilmore wasn't just good yesterday, he was great with some of the defensive plays he made by going out and just ball hawking. I mean, there were a couple of those plays, and not just the second one that he made where he jumped up and in the fourth quarter and batted that ball down over the right side of the field. Not just that play, because you know what? That guy kind of had him beat. And if Gilmore doesn't jump up like that, you know, and and have the ups like that, maybe the size that he has, if he doesn't get that ball, I mean, that's a touchdown. That's game over. That season's over. Gilmore jumps up, makes the play, bats it down. But there was one earlier in the game, too, where he's chasing the guy down the sideline. And he turns and goes for the ball and tries to make a play in the ball. And he almost, he almost caught it. But... You know, I I looked at that play, and I said to people I was with, I said 98% of cornerbacks would not turn and look for that ball. They They would keep their eyes on the receiver. They would run into him, and they would get a pass interference penalty from making contact before the ball got there because the receiver would sort of maybe try to come back and get it a little bit, right? Or would look up and maybe try to jump up for it, and the corner... 98% of cornerbacks would not turn to look for the ball. Instead, because this this is what pisses me off about cornerbacks in this league right now. If you're going to criticize, criticize this. The plays in which they just keep their eye on the guy in front of them as the deep ball is thrown, and when the ball's in the air, they don't turn around and say, hey, I can make a play on this ball. Because when the ball's in the air, and if you turn around and put your eyes on the ball and go to make a play on it, if there's contact, that's not an interference. That's a... That's anybody's ball. You have just as much a right to that ball as the receiver does. But we see so many cornerbacks just keep their eye on the receiver. When the ball gets there, he's trying to time his contact. He gets there too early, or the receiver comes back into him, makes it look worse than it is, and the ref's throwing the fucking flag. Stephon Gilmore did something that I think only 1.5 to 2% of cornerbacks in the league right now would, would do, is he turned, he looked up at the ball, and he made a play in the ball. And, and, and I loved it. And that, to me, showed me that, okay, yeah, uh, you know what? Big money corner, big money play in a big spot, absolutely. Uh, but let's not act like Gilmore hasn't been very good for a pretty good stretch here late in the season. He has. He's been very good. And, uh, you know, Gilmore made th- those big plays yesterday and it's just <laughs> I, I, I think that's where it changed you know at the half the defense they adjust they started getting creative in ways they were trying to get to the quarterback they didn't always get to him but it it 
it messed up what Jacksonville was trying to do. And then on offense, obviously, it's Tom Brady. Obviously, it's Tom Brady. Now, Deion Lewis almost lost it for him. He did. He almost lost it for him. And what, what, what I think, if the Patriots lose this game, we'd be looking at the Deion Lewis fumble. And you watched the highlight of this. I was yelling this live. And, and the play was beautiful. You know, Brady throws it over to Amendola. Amendola throws it backwards across the field to Deion Lewis. Lewis runs for the first down. He's running up the sideline. He's got three blockers in front of him. He decides to slow down and sort of go to his right. As he does that, then he cuts back to his left. He's already slowed down to the point where Jacksonville defender catches up to him, strips him on the ball. Now, they reviewed it. I think it could have gone either way because Deion Lewis did have the ball under his arm. But what mattered there was the call on the field. And the call on the field was a fumble. Now, I don't know why they blew the whistle. I guess they thought he was, you know, down by contact after he recovered it. I don't know what was going on. I get that, right? The call on the, the field was a fumble, was it not? And so it's tough to overturn. If the call on the field was just down by contact, I don't know that that's going to be called the fumble. So it could have gone either way. But I couldn't get over the fact that I don't know what Deion Lewis was thinking. Why was he slowing down? He had three blockers in front of him. You should be just be busting up through that. I don't know. Maybe he gets to the end zone. I have no idea. But you can't slow down in that spot. You got you to gotta know that because the play, the way it was, where Brady throws it across the field, Amendola throws it across the other side of the field backwards, that this guy's they're going to be, you know, catching up to you. You can't slow down in that play. So... It was a fumble waiting to happen the minute he slows down. And, and I was yelling live. I'm going, stop, run, just run. And, he, and they called it a fumble. Um, so, I mean, it's 20 to 10 at that point. The Patriots playing some pretty good defense. And, you know, I think their punt game was strong, obviously. You get the ball back. You get the third and 18 to Danny Amendola. And Danny Amendola... Just another strong playoff performance, and strong is probably not a strong enough word to descri- describe what kind of game Danny Amendola had. Think about this. And, and it's it pisses me off when people say, oh, wow, they did it without Gronk. Because Gronk, you know, he gets injured. Uh, the concussion, he was woozy. He didn't know where he was. Yeah, he couldn't even stand up after that hit, that helmet-to-helmet hit, which, by the way, in the first half, was it a bad, that was a bad hit, okay? You can't come in helmet-to-helmet like that. And, of course, someone like Richard Sherman is, up, is upset with the call. You know, Richard Sherman takes to Twitter whenever one of these things happen, and, and he says, oh, well, what do they want us to do? You know, this is the league's fault. You know, they don't want us going at the knee, so we go at the head. Where else are we going to go? I think that argument is so stupid. You know why? Because the human body doesn't go legs to head. Like, you get what I'm saying? There's a whole midsection that you could run into, that you could hit. Do you know why a defensive player, somebody in the secondary, do you know why a defensive player like that doesn't go and attack the midsection of somebody like Rob Gronkowski? It's because the guy who would be making the hit would probably get hurt or trucked, right? Think about Rob Gronkowski running full speed and that safety or cornerback for Jacksonville uh, hitting him with his shoulder first in the midsection, which would be a legal play, an illegal tackle. You know what happened? That guy's shoulder would pop out of his socket. That guy would have a broken collarbone. That guy would have, the, you know, the worst AC joint sprain in the history of shoulder injuries. So that's why he didn't do it, because he would have got run, stompled over and maybe even injured. So you know what he did? He went for the head. He didn't go for the legs. He went for the head. But the argument that Richard Sherman makes, and other people will continue to make, because I, I, I heard it by other people yesterday too, is that, well, you can't go for the legs. You got to go for the head. No, you don't. What about the big midsection in between the head and the legs? You're trying to tell me that the human body has made just legs straight up the head? What are you talking about? Why can't he hit him in the stomach? Why can't he hit him in the shoulder? You know why? Because the defensive guy would get hurt. The defensive guy would get run over. So he says, I'll go for the head. (laughs) You can't go head to head. It's simple. It's a bad hit. 
And Gronk goes down. He doesn't return to the game. And what pisses me off is when people say, well, Brady does it without Gronk. And they don't mention that he's also doing it without Julian Edelman. I hate when people don't mention that. And I get it. We all understand Edelman's been out for the season. And for some people, it's out of sight, out of mind. But if we're going to talk about the legend that is Tom Brady, and we're going to be realistic about it, and we're going to be realistic about the weapons that he has, not only did Tom Brady, I will acknowledge, not only did Tom Brady win that game yesterday in the second half without Gronk, he also did it without Julian Edelman. Without Gronk and Edelman, Tom Brady down 20-10 to to one of the best defenses in the league in the fourth quarter. And you still have things going wrong. You're running back fumbles on what would have been a beautiful play. You still get the job done. Third and 18 to Amendola. You get the Amendola touchdown, a little short pass. He runs in on the left side. 2017 with 844 left in the game. You know, you got another nice punt from Ryan Allen. Stephon Gilmore, the big plays. Couple big plays. Uh, the Amendola punt return for 20 yards down to Jacksonville's 30, just under five minutes left, and then Brady to Amendola in the back of the end zone with 2.48 left in the game, and the Patriots take a 24-20 lead and some solid defense, and the Patriots win the game, and Tom Brady wins the game with a fourth-quarter comeback again, and this time he does it without Gronk, and I'll say it also without Julian Edelman. Okay? It's important to add that because, uh... It's it's amazing. It's amazing that it really is, you know, the next man up is, is I, I mean, I, I try to explain it all the time. It's a real thing. I, you can't deny it. You cannot deny it at this point. And Amendola's been great. Amendola's been great. But guess what? If they didn't have Amendola, Philip Dorsett made a nice catch down the left sideline yesterday. If it, if, if it wasn't going to be Amendola, it would have been, Brady would have found someone else. You know, Cooks dropped a big pass in that one. But his first half was phenomenal. Brandon Cooks. I just, Brady would have found a way. Right? He would have found a way. He's found a way without Edelman. He's found a way without Gronk. He now gives you an example of a fourth quarter comeback in the playoffs where he can find a way without both Gronk and Edelman. It's amazing. It's incredible. And now he's going to his 10th Super excuse me, his 8th Super Bowl, the Patriots' 10th Super Bowl. It's an NFL record for the organization. 10 Super Bowl appearances. Brady going to his 8th. Belichick with the Patriots, his 8th. You know, Brady has a chance now to, Brady and Belichick, to win their 6th Super Bowl championship. They're a 5.5-point favorite. And as I keep pointing out to people, the Patriots are the favorite to win next year's Super Bowl already as well. In Atlanta, Super Bowl 53. And it's not crazy for me to mention that. It's not. Because as I watched this thing play out yesterday, and I watched Tom Brady do this, not just without Gronk, not just without Julian Edelman, but also with a thumb that was as swollen as you could get. And look, the thumb injury was a huge storyline all week. Did we overreact? Eh, I don't think I overreacted, to be honest. At the time that I recorded Thursday's podcast and I talked about Brady's thumb, I went home, you know, I saw some things. I watched the Brady press conference with the gloves on the next day, saw that he was limited in practice the next day, you know, heard reports that he was throwing the ball well in practice and that everybody said he would be just fine. And I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I overreacted on Thursday's podcast. Like there was a picture of him after the post game yesterday of his right hand and the stitches, the cut, everybody is so obsessed with the stitches. Like, oh, how many stitches did he have? I get it. That's tough to play with stitches in your thumb there. He had it taped up. They kept having to put that adhesive to keep that tape on there. And I mean, that tape basically was, that was affecting how much he spread his hand out on the football. It was but yet he still had the grip. He's still throwing the ball on the money. And he had a couple throws early in this game. And that one to Cooks early where I'm going, okay, Brady's going to be just fine, right? Brady's going to be just fine. But the picture that I see of Brady's hand after his post-game press conference on Sunday after this game, forget about the stitches. I'm surprised that people aren't talking about the swelling and the sprain. 
There was a report right before kickoff, and this was coming from Albert Breer. Albert Breer's been on this show before. Uh, if uh, Is he SI right now, Sports Illustrated? Previously, the NFL Network. Previously, the Boston Globe before that. Albert Breer, he tweeted out that with the stitches, there was also a sprain. And and I'm looking at that going, okay, now that make it's starting to make sense. Like, I told you it looked like there was a splint on Brady's thumb under that glove at practice early in the week, and, and I'm convinced it was. And I'm convinced that I was convinced in my head that there was something more than just stitches that would prevent Tom Brady from practicing three days before the AFC Championship game. It was more than just stitches. There was something else going on there. He whacked it so hard that there must have been some type of either swelling or sprain. You see the swelling on that thumb? That was a sprain? Uh, what, collateral ligament sprain, I think they called it? To me, that's the, to me, that's the craziest part because now you're talking about the ability to grip the football. And and I think it's probably a worse pain than just the stitches at that point, a couple days later, when you get to the game on Sunday. I think the swelling and the sprain part of the whole thumb injury is, to me, that's that's the craziest part. And it's the part nobody's talking about. I mean, the swelling was crazy on that picture that I saw last night. I retweeted it. Um, I thought it was nuts. And yet Tom Brady having that type of game without... Gronk without Edelman and now going to his eighth Super Bowl is just downright incredible. I mean, it's expected in these pots. It's expected. But because it's expected, you know, I think it makes it more enjoyable. Like, I keep trying to tell people, stop bitching, stop complaining, stop... I mean, just enough. I mean, there's always something. It's like, what are you complaining about? This team is a favorite to win next year's Super Bowl already. Like, why are there so many complaints? And look, the complaints are going to keep coming because McDaniels is leaving, Patricia's leaving, a couple other guys are leaving. The complaints, they're going to continue. But Belichick is not going anywhere. I, I honestly don't believe he's going anywhere. I don't. Brady is obviously not going anywhere. You know, if the Patriots win this Super Bowl, the idea that they could win back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls, what, you mean to tell me Belichick doesn't want to do that? You mean to tell me that Belichick doesn't have a plan for when some of these coaches leave to put somebody in place that is going to also believe in the system and be poised under the pressure and can put the players in position to execute? Belichick's the guy that runs this show. And even though they're losing some key coaches in the offensive and defensive side of the football, I don't think Belichick's going anywhere. And if Belichick doesn't go anywhere, and obviously Brady's staying, the Patriots have, I mean, again, we could go up and down the AFC and we could sit here and say right now, who will beat the Patriots in the AFC next year? Who will do it? Like so many, like, I'm surprised Seth Wickersham hasn't had a story on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, the Pittsburgh Steelers seem like they're an organization that really has some tension. Where's that big feature story on the Pittsburgh Steelers? Right? Where's that one? There's some other teams. I mean, there's one team that maybe I look at, I go, and it's if Deshaun Watson can get back healthy next year, the Texans looked great with him. That might be their missing piece in that organization. They always They really missed not having that quarterback. Deshaun Watson was supposed to be the guy, then he got hurt. They almost beat the Patriots, right? I mean, they gave the Patriots a game, and Deshaun Watson made all the big throws. So if there's one team maybe in the AFC I'm looking at, it's Houston could be a team that you could be battling with um, the next couple years. But still, I mean, hey, the Patriots ended up winning that game. I, I, I still don't think I would pick Houston to come into Gillette and beat the Patriots in the playoffs. Be a tough game. But that's what it's about. It's about winning the regular season, getting the job done, getting that first round by, making sure you have that AFC championship in your own building, and then you're going off to the Super Bowl. We expect the Patriots to have this type of season, but that's what makes it so enjoyable and why I keep telling people, embrace this. Don't get caught up in the bullshit. Embrace it. Because do you really want to know what it's like to not expect it? I don't, 
And sure, I can remember the days of Drew Bledsoe. I was a big Drew Bledsoe fan. Um, and obviously, they went to a Super Bowl there in 97, lost to the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, the Bill Parcells game where he had one foot out the door for that one. Um, but, you know, you thought that was successful, just getting to the Super Bowl. Do you know, I mean, do you know how many people just think it's a success to get to the conference championship? Once? Once in 10 years? The Patriots just played in their seventh straight conference championship. They're going to their third Super Bowl in the last four years. Malcolm Butler had a quote after the game. He says, uh, you know, what did he say? He's like, I've only been in the Super Bowl, what, uh, four years, and, and this is going to be my third. He said, I've only been in the league for four years. This is going to be my third Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty incredible. It, it's, to me, I, and I've been saying this for a while, it's the, the greatest dynasty that we're ever going to see in professional sports, any sport. So embrace it. Embrace it. Don't start crying about how you thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be here for the next 10 years. You have no idea that Garoppolo was even ever going to win an AFC championship game. You have no idea. You have no clue. For all we know, Deshaun Watson in five years would have taken down Garoppolo. And the Texans would start a dynasty. You know, you have no clue. It's never going to get better than this. It's not. So ride with this as long as you can. It's it's the main reason why I will never fault the Patriots for trading Jimmy Garoppolo. You could be upset with the return all you want, but the Patriots are sticking with the guy that has helped create the greatest dynasty in the history of sports, and it doesn't look like, based on that performance against the Jaguars yesterday, it doesn't look like this thing is going to be stopping at least for another, what, two, three years, right? So, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Don't get caught up in the bullshit. I I don't want to know what it feels like to not expect to get to the Super Bowl. I I don't. I don't want to go back to that. I want to, I want this, and it's all, look, it might only be another three years, but I, I think yesterday on Sunday, the AFC Championship confirmed that at least you, you got a couple more. This isn't the last one, in you? This isn't the last one. No, it's not. It's not the last one. I don't care what coaches are leaving. If Belichick stays, I think he will. And obviously Brady's staying. It's not the last one. Embrace it. So that's what we got with the Patriots right now. And um, they're a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles, who beat the Vikings 38-7. to in the second game yesterday on conference championship weekend. Now, the Vikings took a 7-0 lead. First drive. What was it? Nine plays, 75 yards. Opening drive of the game. Vikings score a touchdown. Took a 7-0 lead in Philly. Way too easy. So easy that I sat there and said, this game, I'm going to be wrong on this one. Vikings are going to win. That was so easy, it wasn't even funny. And, you know, Philly gets the ball. I think they ran four plays, only gained like 15 yards. They punted. Vikings get the ball back, and then what happens? They get some pressure on the quarterback. Chris Long gets in, gets a hand on Case Keenum. Keenum throws it to the right. Eagles step up. They pick it off. Kai crosses the other side of the field, scores a touchdown. Pick six. All of a sudden, you're tied at seven. And the game changes just like that. And um, then you had Nick Foles. I just told you, he he had a money game. He he had a, that's a big boy game. He made the big throws. I did not think he'd be making those throws. I just didn't. I just didn't. Who, honestly, who would have thought Nick Foles would be going into this game making those type of throws against Minnesota's defense? Against any defense. Come on. He was throwing it deep down the field on the money. On the money. I mean, those are some of the, Best throws I've ever seen, to be quite honest with you. Given the the circumstances as well. Nick Foles was money in this game. And there was a part of me that... Yeah, Carson Wentz was on the sideline. And he was... You know, he was smiling. He was like, you know, being a team plays. Get the headset in. Giving high fives. But when they win this game, 
Foles, 26-33, 352 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, all the big throws. Just the, the, I mean, the balls on him to make some of these throws deep down the field and put them, drop them right in the bucket for the touchdown. Multiple touchdowns. I mean, as they're celebrating that one in Philly, they got the NFC Championship t-shirts on. They got the NFC Championship hats on. The fans are singing. Uh, you know, they got the, the NFC Championship trophy they're hoisting up. It's a crazy scene in Philadelphia. If you're an Eagles fan, you're probably going nuts. And they, they had one camera shot of Carson Wentz. He had the hat on. He had the t-shirt on. And he kind of was just looking around. And he was in the back. Foles is up on the stage. He's down, you know, Wentz is down on the ground. He's, he wasn't too happy. He didn't seem happy. And uh, I kind of felt bad for him in that moment. I did. He would look, he was a team player. I'm not saying he's a bad dude or a bad teammate or a selfish guy. I'm not. I think human nature kicked in. And what human nature is for Carson Wentz is y'all looking around going, that guy's up there and I'm down here. And the only reason this team was in this game is because of me. Because of me. And maybe the only reason you get, you know, get the fans on your side in that game is because it's at home. And the only reason you had that game at home is because of Carson Wentz. Right? I mean, you're telling me Wentz wasn't thinking that? Oh, of course he was. Of course he was. And I think that one quick shot, they, they did it on purpose, too. They, it was real quick. They put the camera on, on Wentz, and as everybody's celebrating, and Foles is up, and the fans are singing, and they got the T-shirts and the confetti, and Wentz is down on the ground. And he's got to be looking up going, and he wasn't smiling. He's got to be looking up going, that should be me. That should be me. And he's probably pissed. He's pissed at the, he's not pissed at Foles. He's not pissed at the Eagles organization. He's pissed at the injury, right? He's pissed at the fate, really, of his own season. Um, because let's be honest. What happens if Phil, what happens if Nick Foles leads the underdog Eagles to a Super Bowl, not just because he didn't throw interceptions and, you know, had a pedestrian game? No, no, no. What if he goes in and wins it? Because he won that game for the Eagles yesterday against Minnesota. What if he goes in the Super Bowl in Minnesota and wins it? Throws for 350 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 30 completions. What if Foles goes out there and wins it? Right? What if that happens? Does that take anything away from what Wentz did? It's got to it's gotta take away from it a little bit, doesn't it? Like, it, it kind of will show that, all right, Philly's defense legit. That whole team's got it going on. That coaching staff's got to figure it out. And... You know, the quarterbacks making big plays. Maybe the offensive offensive line deserves a little bit more credit than maybe Wentz was getting. I'm not saying Wentz is going to lose his job. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Nick Foles, that performance yesterday, Nick Foles just earned himself a job as a starting quarterback for another team next season. He did. He did. He just earned himself a job. He did. Because this league is desperate for quarterbacks that can make throws like that in those spots. They are. The league's desperate for it. And if you got a guy there who's going to make those plays and obviously is not, you know, the Eagles organization is not going back to Foles next year. I don't care what happens in the Super Bowl. They're not. Wentz is their guy. Wentz is their guy. But Foles earned a starting job somewhere else. And and I'm not trying to take anything away from Wentz. He's going to be their guy. But... You look at the success he had. If Foles is having even greater success in the bigger games, in the playoffs, and helps them win a Super Bowl, well, you know, maybe it takes away from some of the praise Wentz was getting when we were going to sit here and call him MVP when he was healthy. And I'm not trying to use that as a knock. I'm trying to praise Foles a little bit here. Because he impressed me. And I never thought I would be saying this about Nick Foles. But if he plays like that against the Patriots on February 4th in Minnesota, Eagles got a shot. Eagles got a shot. If he may, if he's going to make those plays, 
Eagles have a shot. Absolutely have a shot. And uh, they're playing up this underdog card, this underdog role. They should. They should play it up. Now, I think the the dog masks are a little crazy, a little foolish. I think those are a little foolish. But that's going to be pumped up, hyped up in the Eagles locker room. And as we sit here and look at some early Super Bowl 52 storylines, you already ran over a couple. Patriots' 10th Super Bowl appearance, uh, which is an NFL record. Brady and Belichick's 8th Super Bowl appearance. The Patriots' 3rd Super Bowl in the last four years. You know, the underdog card that Philly's going to play. We'll look at Gronk's concussion to see, you know, if he's going to be ready to go in this game. And, (laughs) I mean, let's say he's not, and the Patriots win. Right? I mean, there's so many storylines there. Let's say Gronk Gronk can't play. And I think he will. Like, I think Gronk will be ready to go. But concussions, you just don't know. I mean, you really don't. You just don't know with concussions. What do they say? Every concussion is like a, a snowflake. Everyone's different. Everyone is different. You have no idea. I don't think they know a timetable right now, and if they did, they wouldn't tell us. Uh, the good thing is they have the extra week off. And, uh, you know, that because of that extra week, I do think Gronk is going to play in the Super Bowl. But let's say it's something that affects him, and he's not able to play, and the Patriots win the Super Bowl. You talk about things that don't look good for certain guys, like Carson Wentz being on the sideline, watching Nick Foles light it up if the Eagles won. How about Gronk for the second straight year being on the sideline, watching the Patriots win? And, and you know, Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time. I believe that. But wouldn't be a great look if the Patriots go on and win two straight Super Bowls without him. Uh, it's just, but again, it's more praise for a guy like Brady than anything else. Then it's not, I'm not trying to use it as a knock on Wentz or Gronk. I'm saying, you know, you got to look at the other guy who's stepping up and doing it without those players. But it's just, it's just a storyline. I'm just throwing out storylines, throwing them against the wall and what we got. Gronk's, con- Gronk's concussion is one of them. And, and when we talk about that, or when they talk about it, you know, when they do the, feature stories on ESPN leading up to the game. You know, they'll look back at last year's Super Bowl, how they won without Gronk, and and they'll look at the second half of the Jacksonville game this year, and they'll say, well, they did it without Gronk. They'll point that out. Uh, so these are some of the storylines. No question. Uh, but the Eagles, you know, the, the underdog role, that is certainly going to be one of the bigger ones. Unfortunately for the Eagles, one thing that I'm seeing today, which, if I'm an Eagles fan, I have to be sitting there going, why the fuck would you say that? Why are you going all, Tom Brady's a pretty boy, can't wait to dethrone the king? Talk. Why are you going all, predicting Super Bowl wins to the media? Why are you doing that? When you're playing the Patriots. Like, I ask this question week in and week out. Year in and year out. This time of year. Why are so many people in the NFL who are not in the Patriots organization so stupid? When is everybody around the league going to learn to function like the New England Patriots? Which is, don't give the other team any bulletin board material. In fact, do the complete opposite. Talk them up. Pump them up. Tell them, tell everybody they're the best. Tell everybody, you know what? They shouldn't be an underdog. They should be the favorite. Look at what they did all season long. You know, look at how deep their quarterbacking is. Look at how deep their running back situation is. We know LeGarrette Blunt. He helped us win here. And they went out and traded for Jay Ajayi? Look at that two-headed monster back there. Look at that defense. Chris Long, we know how good he is at getting to the quarterback. We're going to have a tough time blocking him. That's a championship organization over there, right? I mean, the Patriots are going to go out of their way to praise the Philadelphia Eagles, and yet we are not even, twenty. as I record this, we're not even 24 hours removed from the Eagles advancing to the Super Bowl, and we have multiple quotes of stupidity coming out of the Eagles' locker room from players talking to the media. 
One play is saying, oh, Tom Brady's a pretty boy, wants to dethrone the king. Eh, wrong answer, dickhead. You got another guy predicting a Super Bowl win over the Patriots. Eh, wrong answer, asshole. Stupid. This is pure stupidity. If I'm an Eagles fan, I'd be sitting there going, what are you guys doing? You see the game Foles played? We got a shot to win this game. Playing the underdog card. Play it. You can play the underdog card and not have to come out and give the Patriots bulletin board material. It drives me insane. It, absolutely insane. And it's it's just another example of the Patriots. There's the Patriots and then there's everybody else. Just when you think the Eagles with that performance from Nick Foles, you got a couple former Patriots blunt, long, right? Just when you think, Eagles, here they come. They're in the they're in there chirping after the game. Giving all the bulletin board material in the world to New England Patriots. Stupid. If I'm an Eagles fan, I'd be pissed. Because I I do think. I do think this is gonna be a game. I'm not. I told you the Eagles are going to beat Minnesota. I didn't think Foles would look like that. But because Foles looked like that and they did win that game and they have that defense, you know what? This is going to be a game. Absolutely going to be a game. And and, and it's just, it's, it's I think it's unfortunate for Eagles fans now because even someone like myself feels like this is going to be a game. It's unfortunate for Eagles fans that they have to sit there and listen to some of their players give the Patriots bulletin board material, not even 24 hours removed from an NFC championship dominant win. Right? I I feel bad because I think this is going to be a game or at least has the potential to. Now you got a couple weeks. If you're the Eagles coaching staff, get the boys together and say, hey, zip it. Oh, you want to talk about Tom Brady's a pretty boy? Shut the fuck up. You haven't won anything. They need to, some of these, they need to be humbled. And the co- that's on the coaching staff. And the, if you don't see that and you hear more of this stuff, then you got to look at it and go, well, I feel bad for Eagles fans because now they have a coaching staff that obviously has no, no sniff. They got no sniff. Like they have, the teams just haven't learned. They're never going to learn. They are never going to learn. It's too bad. Because Eagles are a good team. They, they, this is not going to be an easy game for the Patriots. And anybody who thinks it is, and I speak about the Patriots with the utmost confidence week in and week out, but this is a good Eagles team. And if Foles can throw the football down the field on the money like that in the big spots then, and they can get to the quarterback the way they got to Keenum to create that game-changing pick six like Chris Long got to the quarterback, they got the tools. Eagles got the tools to make this a ball game. And if you make the Super Bowl a ball game, as you know from the two Super Bowls that we saw against the Giants in which they made it a ball game, anything can happen. Anything can happen. It's just the bulletin-ball material stuff is mind-boggling considering you got to know at this point just how much the Patriots love using that shit as bulletin-ball material and as motivation. So... Those are just some of the early Super Bowl storylines. You know, we got some more. You got Deion Lewis and Eric Rowe playing against their old team as well. We'll have our eye on Tom Brady's hand and how this thing heals. But again, the great thing is they have the the week off. So, I mean, he looked fine. He he looked fine. He did. He looked fine. And uh, Patriots going to the Super Bowl again. What can you say? Other than that, it's been an incredible run. I don't think this is going to be the last year of it. And my advice to everybody here in this town would be to embrace it. Don't get too caught up in the bullshit. Now, you know, you got two weeks here where somebody along the way is going to stir up some type of bullshit, but it's because they want to, whether it's for ratings, whether it's for hatred of the Patriots organization and the fact that they do keep winning under circumstances that nobody thought they would, which is a 40-year-old quarterback who had a banged-up paw, a banged-up hand in that game. Uh, Which, by the way, worse than just stitches. When are we going to start talking about the sprain and the swelling? I think that's worse than the stitches. Don't understand why that's not as big a story, but embrace it. Embrace it, because we expect this. We expect the Patriots 
to be playing in this game. We expect to be talking about, you know, Super Bowl media coverage. Now, I'm not going to Minnesota. Not going to Minnesota. Maybe Atlanta next year. Maybe Atlanta next year. I'm not, you know, usually I'm a little upset that I'm not going to the Super Bowl. I'm not that upset about it this year because Minnesota, I know it's in a dome. Obviously, you're not going to be cold in the game, but I don't really feel like going to Minnesota this time of year, to be quite honest with you. I have I have actually no interest in going to Minnesota. And I, I would have some interest in going to Atlanta next year. And I say that because I do think the Patriots have a very good chance to be in this game again. And uh, that expectation for them to be in the Super Bowl year in and year out is a feeling that I enjoy because I keep trying to tell myself I don't want to know what it feels like to not expect this because that would be tough. And I tease some people sometimes. I'm like, when the Patriots, when Brady's done, Belichick's done, I might I might be done. I might be done. Like, wh- what are we going to do? You know how frustrated we're going to become? Do you? Do you? With the NFL? It's a league where this doesn't happen. It doesn't. And uh, it's never going to get better than this. So embrace it. Enjoy it. Patriots going back to the Super Bowl. I'll be back on Thursday. I got a podcast on Thursday dropping with Sports Illustrated's Justin Barrasso. He's been on this show a couple times the last couple years. And if you've heard him on this show before, then you know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about... The world of professional wrestling. Justin Barrasso is Sports Illustrated's pro wrestling insider. Uh, You can read him at SI.com. And the Royal Rumble is this Sunday night. Now, tonight on this Monday, January 22nd, they have the Monday Night Raw 25th anniversary special, which I can't wait to watch. You know, give you that old school WWF nostalgic feeling and uh, we'll react to that when he comes in in a couple days when we record this podcast. But we'll also preview the Royal Rumble. We'll get into some New Japan Pro Wrestling stuff. As you know, I'm a big fan of Kenny Omega and the Bullet Club and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, also now Chris Jericho, part of New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's so many pro wrestling rumors out there. And uh, we'll get to them all. We'll tackle them all as Justin Barrasso will be joining me in studio later this week. That podcast will be dropping on Thursday. So get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also, now available on Spotify. That's right. The Danny Picard Show is available on Spotify. It's free. Go to the Spotify app, sign up, search the Danny Picard Show. I ha- I'll have it linked on all my stuff. I already posted on Twitter over the weekend. So we continue to build, and now Spotify is the latest example of that. Also on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and the Podcast One Network. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, all forms of social media. Enjoy the rest of your week. I will talk to you on Thursday.